Hey guys, just want to take a minute for our sponsor, J4 Flower Horns. If you are sitting in front of your aquarium wondering why you're no longer enjoying it, well, number one, you may not see them, so clean the glass, but two, you know, bring a piece of the extreme to your tank. Have some fun. Go to j4flowerhorns.com. He not only has amazing award-winning flower horns you can get nowhere else, but also extreme fish like Bashirs, Platinum Bashirs, Albino Arowana. He even has blue eye, bristlenose placos, King Kong Parrot Cichlids. What do you guys want? Go there. Go now. Find yourself some extreme for your tank and get 10% off while doing it. Go to j4flowerhorns.com and use promo code AquariumGuys at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Also, to celebrate J4 and Flowerhorn sponsoring the show, uh, we put out a little love. Go to our merch store. You'll see it in the show notes. It's the Aquarium Guys merch line. And we have added a new line of merch saying, I love cock. Now, cock, K-O-K, is the ball on the front of a flower horn. So certainly check out the silly new merch line. Love for you to uh, pick some up. It certainly helps the show. And, uh, you know, certainly at mention J4 Flowerhorn on social media. Uh, just to let him know that you love cock uh guys keep the stories coming in we want to do a user submitted story time for story time four certainly send those in you can send them to the aquarium guys podcast website at the bottom of the page you will find our contact method you can email it to us you could send it a text message you know whatever is most comfortable for you hell you could even send us a audio recording of you telling the story but send those in and let's kick that podcast Welcome, guys. Adam, we lost Jimmy. What did you do? Did you shit on him? No, that's your job. I mean, I feel like it's everyone's job because he's not here, and that's part of being... It's an obligation that we have to do is, is shit on the man. But unfortunately, our normal host, Jimmy, is out with a, according to the text message, I have to take a peek here, a 99.6 fever. And he says he doesn't want to give me the uh, the COVIDs. So, no, no, no. He doesn't care about you. He cares more about your wife. Okay. Th- th- thank you. I mean, <laughs> we do have to paint that out. He would normally cough in my face. So there is that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce tonight's uh, temporary replacement for Jimmy, Michael Hayes. Say hello to the audience. Good evening. So Mike is a dear friend of mine, and uh, just so happens that today is the first day he's going to come in and live with me and uh, move in as a roommate, but you are a Killy aficionado. Absolutely. Are you nervous? A little bit. A little bit. I'm trial by fire tonight. I mean, with the large of that beard, you shouldn't be nervous. Shouldn't be. I started off with live bearers, guppies, platies, sword tails, etc. And I used to be intimidated by killies. And then eventually gave them a try, started breeding them, and loved what I had. They're my favorite little fish. And now you order, you know, uh, $200 pairs from French dudes. Oh, no. Thai dudes. Thai dudes. Well, what happened to the French dudes? The French dudes don't have them anymore. They're They're gone? They're all from Thai dudes. Yeah, they're all Thai dudes. All right, well, I have questions for you, but they'll have to wait. So I'm your host, Rob Zolson. I'm Adam Elnishire. See, it took him a minute because normally we have this gentleman in the middle. So uh, suck it, Jimmy. 
No, seriously, I hope that uh, you're okay, Jimmy. If you're listening to this three weeks from now, that you still don't have COVID because that would suck. Tonight, we are going to be doing a, a Dr. Fish, and we have the doctors in the house. James, how you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. Howdy, fishy folks. So we have a absolute f- fish load of questions at Aquatic Affinity. So it is a Discord server that we actually did last time in episode four. If you haven't heard it, go back and check out the episode. We had so many questions from before, and this time they did not hold up back on us either. So I don't know how many we're going to get through tonight. But let me tell you, I had I sat up for about an hour last night proofing the questions, and we got some humdingers for you, Doc. Sweet. So what have you been doing, just as an update, uh, since we last talked? Because we've had a, quite a few episodes since we have episode four. Oh, uh, trying to trying to keep up with demand of fish. It, it, it's still a bit crazy. Flights are still a little bit wonky, but pressing through as we can and uh, getting as many shipments as we can and uh, getting them out the door. So if you say like demand has been absolute peaking now or? It's still going up. I mean, people are loving fish right now. Even with states opening up and stuff like that, fish sales are still really strong. Nice. I I see all the hobbies. Uh, I know Mike and I play uh, Magic the Gathering and it seems like even collectible cards, the the market's still pretty darn solid. All these indoor hobbies. I I, uh, work as an IT professional and I talked with these people that uh, have a RV sailing uh, place and they said they're out of RVs for the first time since they've been open. Oh, wow. It's blown out. So people are finding ways to uh, stay inside and be COVID-friendly. That's a burn to you, Jimmy. I know you're listening. (laughs) Well, for those that don't know, Dr. Fish is from Seagrass Farms, the largest wholesaler uh, distributor of live fish in the North America or is the United States? Uh, the, the U.S. Possibly the world. Possibly the world. We haven't measured it yet, but we have uh, James is the head of fish health, which is why we call you Dr. Fish. And it's so much fun to beat up you with different questions because, you know, you'll have to sometimes bring back homework or throw you for a loop. My favorite one was the uh, Sweetwater, which we still get feedback from, by the way. Just to let you know there, Doc. That's great. Did you ever find a product that matches that nowadays or that's still like some classic product no one can find it, it can be found overseas but uh I, you're not gonna find it over here gotcha the next time they have an aqua rama i'm sure somebody will have a tank with it i miss going out into conferences and whatnot but are they still doing aqua shella this year i think it's still scheduled isn't it as far as i know it is i'm not sure in what capacity it will be though fingers crossed well again we are at aquatic affinities discord Aquatic Affinity is a wonderful fish community to help out. No membership fee. Come join the fun. We already have a completely full Discord, or I'd say come join us here, but you can watch us on twitch.tv forward slash aquarium guys for those that have now filled this entire Discord to listen to this live. So come join the debauchery, at least in that manner, and check out Aquatic Affinity. Well, thanks for having us hosted, and let's dive into some of the questions Before we do, Mike, you had a wonderful question. So I've bought from Seagrass Farms before. First of all, I just want to say every product I've gotten from Seagrass has been great. Wonderful. Never had issues. Lately, within the Killy community, I've heard questions or talked to people who have been interested in buying like the Rocket Killies, the Banded Panchaks. Correct. Every seller in the U.S. is sold out. We don't Ah. buy. This this is where James would be like, no, no, I got some in the back room. Don't worry about it. (laughs) <laughs> no, actually, actually, we we don't have any right now. Uh, we we really usually only bring those in maybe monthly, once every other month. We have a really good check vendor that that we get them from. But 
why other people are out, I, I couldn't speak to that, unfortunately. Clearly, everything's under demand. So good luck figuring out one specific fish, Mike. Well, thank you for the answer. Why do the checks have such amazing quality of fish? I think mostly because profit margin is mostly taken out of the picture over there. They're doing it for the love. Oh, okay. Good to know. All right. So let's dive in to some questions. We have curated a bunch. And if you want to ask, normally we go to the Aquarium Guys uh, Discord, which is the bottom of our website, aquariumguyspodcast.com. But uh, this is all in Aquatic Affinity. So you have to join the Discord to submit some of these questions. And honestly, if you guys keep pumping out amazing questions, maybe we can ask permission to come for a third time. We'll find out. But so far, it's been working out great. So first question to kick off the evening, how do I make sure dwarf puffers have no illness on them when I purchase them? You want to definitely quarantine any fish. Just uh, assume that fish have bugs on them, just, just like people do. You know, we have parasites and bacteria and, and all over us every day. So, so so do the fish. So Some are good. Some are commensal and, and some can be parasitic or, or pathogenic. So you want to quarantine all your fish. The, the little pea puffers, they'll do fine. Uh, a lot of times, I like to assume that they have ick and, and treat them for ick uh, w- with a good two two week to twenty one day quarantine. So, is there anything that you want to look for uh, specifically with puffers? Because most people aren't really used to the behavior of a dwarf puffer, especially because dwarf puffers are a real target for beginner fish keepers. Is there a behavior you're looking for, coloration, or something specific you have to look for weak individuals? They're a tricky fish. I, I really don't honestly suggest them for beginners, especially if you're keeping multiples in the tank, because they're going to nip at each other and chew their fins off. Uh, it's very common. I mean, you, you almost never see a, a dwarf puffer that has perfect fins. It's in their nature to nip at each other and nip at other fish as well so you just need to watch out for secondary bacterial infections you know with most fish you want to look for a brightly colored fish and something that looks like it's breathing without struggling or trying to breathe you know correct uh, alignment in the water uh next question i'm actually going to trade these mike go ahead and read the next one what is your favorite tropical community fish Mm, favorite tropical community fish Honestly, I, I really like the, the dwarf grommies. They're probably, I, I, I think, in a planted tank uh, with a school of tetras and some dwarf grommies, I, I think is a, is a really beautiful tank. All right, Adam, you get the next question. Have you ever had Myxobolosis cerebellus affect tropical fish? What the hell disease is that? M- Myxobolus cerebellus. Okay. That's the one. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep, that uh, I actually have seen that only once in the 20 plus years I've been in the industry. So, but it does happen occasionally. It, what is the disease? It, it shows here that it's a parasite of salmon, salmonids? It can be in salmon. Yeah, yep. A worm disease it, in it, farm salmon is how it's co- most commonly found. Yeah, it can also travel to the brain uh, of the fish as well. I wondered that because it said cerebralis, you know, like your cerebellum brain. Mm. I'm going to have to play some of that, but we can't anymore because YouTube's going to take us down. Mm. All right. What crime did convict cichlids actually commit? I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just because of their stripes. Not going to tell us what crime they committed? (laughs) Oh, wait. Okay. uh, Fair enough. I'll answer this one. (laughs) Breeding too fast. All right. Moving on. What, in your opinion, is the definition of a perfect tank? I, I like, personally, heavily planted tanks with a few schooling fish. That and, above all else, I mean, you are Dr. Fish. You you like a healthy tank, number one. Uh, uh, 
obviously. I mean, that is low-hanging fruit there. All right, your turn, Mike. I like this question because I've had this question in the past. It's how to get rid of string algae in a shrimp tank. All the medication I see recommended using said medication in a shrimp tank is not recommended. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Typically, what you're going to be using to do that is copper. It's some type of copper-based medication, regardless of what they call it. And it, it does a number on the algae, but it's going to do a number on your shrimp too, pretty quick. So really, and, and this is the one scenario that I, I will sometimes suggest using an antibiotic for something that's not bacterially related. And, and some hair algae you can kill with a really heavy dose of erythromycin antibiotics, but it's not something that I would suggest to do often or anything. But if you do have a Z pack laying around, sure. But for the rest of us, I mean, <laughs> use a toothbrush, you know, roll it like you're eating spaghetti and uh, try to uh, control it like the rest of us. Rob or knows or this. Oh, sorry, what? No, no, go ahead first. Rob knows this because I gave him some stuff and it gave his tank string algae. You had like super herpes. When it came to like this rare string algae, it was kind of blue. And for some reason, the only thing I had left to do was bleach the tank. I didn't think I needed to get it looked at. So you need to get your shit looked at, Michael. (laughs) Holy crap. Uh, Yeah. Are there any community fish or other things that would eat some of that stuff? Mm, I mean, not enough to make a difference, I don't believe, honestly. So I have two, uh, two recommendations for that. The only two fish that I've had that I actually can mow it down past the fat, uh, how fast it grows is a Siamese algae eater. I have one where the tank was completely covered in it, put, say, eight Siamese algae eaters in there, true ones, not the fake ones, and just blew it apart. I mean, I don't have a shred left. The other one that did a decent job, not quite as good, was an American flagfish. Other than that, I haven't had much besides eating some of it. They won't really attack it besides those two fish. People a lot of times like mollies. Well, sure, mollies will, but they're not going to, say, bring down the population. They're just going to trim it. Yep. You you also forgot something, Robs. Oh, no. Adam's special plant can outcompete hair algae. Ah, that is. Speaking of which, <laughs> did we finally identify that special plant? Nope. I want some of it. I did, <laughs> I did get permission from the DNR that we can inspect it without them uh, having to have recourse on us. Oh, okay. Right. So uh, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to have them take a peek. See. Okay. So they aren't gonna t- they aren't gonna confiscate it. No, but they will put you in jail. So it's different. <laughs> um, but only if you give them your little black book of people you know. A, a little. Nope. A little note to people for listening live. Uh, this is going to come out a, a lot later, so it'll probably be old news by the time you get this. The The whole thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago about someone having uh, moss balls and sh- was finding zebra mussels inside. Uh, public service announcement, that has certainly blown way out of proportion. Uh, a lot of people have been finding it in a lot of different pet stores, and now DNR of certain states have been going and essentially broad-spectrum blanketing, hitting every pet store, and having a essentially like a cease-and-desist letter where they walk in saying, you must bleach your moss balls. Florida has been very aggressive. I have friends that have had people walk in force them to destroy it in north dakota we bleached all of our we bleached all of our moss balls yeah in in florida they're they're that aggressive but also like even in north dakota here we had them come to uh, local pet shops the pet uh, pet smart stuff like that and hit them hard as well so check your own supply if you bought moss balls within the last two months i mean go through them pull them apart pick them you do not want zebra mussels in your tanks Mike is writing down notes. Bleach my shit. Wait, what is that? Bleach your balls. Uh, Public service (laughs) announcement from the aquarium, guys, is uh, bleach your balls, ladies and gentlemen. 
don't forget to bleach your balls. And and one thing I would suggest, if you do have moss balls in your tank, bleach your uh, siphon water until this is all over. Be is there a certain practice. amount of bleach? If you can smell it, it's probably going to kill the moss ball. So I, that, that that's a good uh, I mean, standard it, to go by. It's like a buck okay. and a half at the dollar store for a gallon. I'm I'm pouring that shit here. I mean, that's just me. Yes. I, yes. I'm not going to ask Ann's questions like, how much do I put in? I'm like, enough to drown it. Enough to drown. Well, no, no. I was. He he said, bleach your wastewater, your siphon water. So I just was wondering if there was a certain amount of bleach you should put in your bucket to make it safe, or just pour it in there and it'll kill whatever. Enough, like a bubbling cauldron. I agree. Okay. With that. Spend the dollar fifty. <laughs> All right, uh, Adam. It's your your question here from from Dre. What is Popeye and how do you treat it? And same with dropsy, please. What is dropsy and how do you treat it? Dropsy is caused by a, a systemic bacterial infection. It can be different kinds of bacteria, so you really need to know uh, what what you're dealing with there. Also, Popeye is typically also caused by a bacterial infection. So, so how do you best treat dropsy and specifically Popeye? Is it with spinach? <laughs> <laughs> uh, honestly, salt will help with both of those. And more tanks, right? Okay. Yes. For those that have done <laughs> Doctor Fish the first time, we're going to put be putting on a shirt just for Doctor Fish, uh, saying, uh, you know, just just with the salt shaker of him pouring into a tank. We gotta we gotta work on that. Talk to our art people over the Discord, see what we can find. We'll have them like do your great. your face up. So you have to send us a nice picture, Doctor. That that would be great. <laughs> yes. All right. How do I do a dry start method using aquarium seeds? What are the downsides of using them? Can I use other plants with them? And can you suggest a good type of seed, doctor? I'm not familiar with that. So I think what they're meaning, and again, I'm unfamiliar as well. You take a dry tank with different types of uh, natural substrate, and you take like loose dwarf hair grass uh, type seeds. You spread them across the bottom, and instead of filling the tank which it's hard to get those seeds correct, you instead just moisten the dirt and they'll spring up and shoot up like normal grass. Once you have a start, then you fill your tank and uh, move on with it. And for, I'd say, loose, light seed plants, it's it's a very good way of doing it, especially for starters like dwarf hair grass. But I don't know if I've had a lot of luck doing it. I mean, when I think of that, I think of plants like Anubis or cryptocorn, which can grow terrestrial and aquatic. And a lot of people dry seed with those, but then those tend to melt. They do after a while. I mean, anything that you uh, move around in your tank or replant, buy a plant from the store melts. But I haven't had too much of a problem with it melting from especially dwarf hair grass. I haven't done this a ton, right? There's going to be a little peak of an episode that we're trying to put together of checking out wish items. And I bought a bunch of seeds from Wish.com, and I had a lot of good luck doing that dry method. But don't buy seeds from Wish.com. I, don't tell them. That's a future episode, right? We'll get we'll get to that later. Mike, uh, your question from Steve B. What would be the best way to medicate large species of fish individually without having to remove them from their enclosure? By feed, I I, I find uh, it's going to be depend on what's going on with your fish. Obviously, is it uh, external issues or internal issues? But another way to go about it, uh, if it's external issues, is to remove the other fish from the tank. You know, if that works out better. And I always like to feed fish with medication through feed. Uh, next question is for you, Adam. We got by King Crimson. Crimson. I got to say that correctly. Like the crimson chin. Do you think endlers are less prone to disease compared to guppies because they're less inbred than guppies? Uh, I, I think that, that could be fish. very well. Uh, that could be a good possibility. A lot of the lines of, of 
specific varieties of guppies have, have been bred back for many, many, many years now. I think they meant feeder fish. I think that was a typo, Adam. You didn't read that correctly. You're just an ass. <laughs> but that would be tricky because if I remember it with endlers, endlers are very interbred into guppies too now. They interbreed freely. Yes. So that would be hard to determine then if the guppies You're and the right. endlers are any different. We're just going to have to kill them for science. <laughs> for science. <laughs> Uh, for those that know, unless you have Adam's pure shit, right? Adam's pure shit. I have a sixty-gallon tank of Adam's pure shit. I mean, I could start another website like I did for Jimmy and do adamspureshit.com, but I feel like that's very misleading, and we should definitely save that website for adults only. Say you're selling something else there if you're doing that. <laughs> well, uh, did so you doc fish? I do have a question about genetics. Yes, fish. How many? times can you inbreed fish before you start noticing problems? Like I had some friends that may or may not have lizards that are illegal and they basically descended from like one or two pairs. And they said that within like eight generations, they were, they were starting to see genetic problems like tweaked spines and tails. How often can you do that with fish? Oh, honestly, it's going to probably depend on the breed of fish really. So I, I, I don't really have any insight on that, but along the reptile lines and, 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 cracking down florida just recently had a big loss for reptile keepers so yeah sad, sad for for that end i imagine it's like ants ants you can have like the ant mega colony that's out there and different ants that could be related or have enough genetic diversity that they won't inbreeding won't affect them as much that's my take from that i just want to see the uh southern comments after the, the episode now <laughs> All right, next questions. I'm going to do two at once here. Doctor, how did you get convinced to be on the podcast and how much are they paying you? Not a penny. And it's my pleasure. And Rob's reached out to me and, and I said yes. It was pretty easy, actually. It was uh, a, basically a bribe. I'll buy you a microphone. You come on forever. And uh, there, there he, we go. He signed his contract in blood, and with uh, Sandy Moore's permission, the uh, head of Seagrass Farms, Seagrass Farms is nice enough to sponsor this fine gentleman onto the podcast. So thank you, Seagrass Farms. If you guys are listening to this, you have a pet store and you don't buy from Seagrass Farms, stop it and immediately go to the website and uh, get hooked up. They are fantastic. They wholesale only, but definitely worthwhile. Absolutely. All right, you want to read that one, Mike? Can do. From uh, Papa Goobs. I like that name. Can you blink rapidly into the microphone if they're holding you hostage? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Never mind. You get this one now. <laughs> How common is neon tetra disease? I would say it's as common as, as any other fish disease, honestly. Plastoff can be there. or Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's in what we would call a subclinical state, which means the fish has it, but it's not showing any symptoms and, and they live their whole life out pretty normally. Sometimes they have a stress event or a repeated stressors and then develop disease. How do you feel salt interacts with scaleless fish? Is it just a rumor or are they actually more susceptible, thus need half a dose? Uh, th that's going to be species, uh, very species dependent. Well, let's uh, pick there, on, there's, let's there's pick a on lot a of fish that people, for one, scaleless fish is, is kind of a misnomer because there's a lot of fish that people consider scaleless fish that have scales. So, you know, scats and monos, I see a lot of people put those in, in, in the scaleless fish category. You can keep those in full salt. So that's, uh. I, I would say it can be just a rumor, but with some fish, uh, say ghost knives or elephant nose fish, some of those fish aren't going to tolerate a lot of salt. So you need to know your fish's parameter. All right, Adam, I think I took your question. So you get aliens. <laughs> 
Do you feel the blanket ban on Chanide in the USA is justified? I think that's supposed Chanidae, to be. Chanidae. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. It's not a good idea to have fish that could decimate populations be available. But that's a slippery slope. I mean, you could say we shouldn't import any fish if you're going to say that. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not in the regulatory side of the things. So that's a hard one there. For those that are listening, that family that was spoke of is actually the family most commonly known for snakeheads. And Correct. the arguments I get about snakeheads, especially being in the uh, you know bitter white north, is that, oh, if we ever drop one in the lake or some accident happened, they would just freeze out. Well, yes, but no. the problem is, is there's such an invasive risk that sure, Minnesota, they wouldn't live. But let's say that someone in Minnesota decided to illegally hand it to someone down south. It's just too easy of a fish that can completely destroy an entire ecosystem and spread. It's like carp, the river carp. <laughs> it's like I the, think uh, worse than carp. the Asian carp that you're talking about on yep. the Mississippi. Yep. Yeah, just uh, no. too big of a risk. Yeah, walking catfish here in in Florida, it's horrible. If you you have big rains and they're just they're everywhere. Watched a fantastic documentary by the way on walking catfish and the problem in Florida, and it is terrifying. Did you hear about you're, you're nice and close there in Florida, Doc? The arapaima that are now uh, propagating themselves in Florida. I, I heard something about that, but don't have any specifics on it. Gotcha. All right, how do you do vacation with fish tanks? Fish sitters, vacation schedules, feeding, etc. Uh, that that would be ideal, honestly. When I'm on vacation, I, I only get to go on vacation from from Seagrist if I have somebody capable of uh, making sure everything gets taken care of. He called us once, and they're like, "No, no, no, someone capable." I'm, I'm like, "Fine, <laughs> fine." Alternatively, we just don't go on vacation, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, really, other- we couldn't afford the travel pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. We, we, we tried. But on the other hand, that's how you take care of vacations for Seagrass Farms. For those that are listening, a couple ideas for your tanks are, how long is the vacation? Is it going to be a week, two weeks, going to be only a couple days? If it's a couple days, I mean, it's okay to, I don't want to use the word starve your fish, but fast your fish. People should be doing that on a regular basis anyway. If I'm feeding six days a week, seven should be fasting, in my opinion, for for most tropical species. A few days is not it's not bad at all for your fish. It can do a lot of good. Give the, give oh, the yeah. tank a break. Give your filters a break to catch up. And uh, you wouldn't believe, actually, somehow you'll get like a big plant burst for no apparent reason. I would agree with that. And uh, there's enough microorganisms in tanks, too, that the fish could feed off of those for a few days if they have to. And if you don't want to, uh, use the automatic fish feeders. They're, they're set for different amounts that you can test. They're on little watch motors. They're a fantastic uh, use. But don't get lazy and just be like, oh, I'll just keep topping off the automatic feeder when I get home after the vacation. Don't use automatic feeders as an excuse to feed your fish. That's your time to inspect things, to make sure things are going okay, and interact with the fish. Because there is their only human interaction. Otherwise, I have a lot of problems where people put on automatic feeders, they walk by and their fish disappear. Well, there's no interaction. What what positivity do you bring to the circle besides scaring their asses? So feed your fish. Take it as your your time for your moment to inspect the tank. And for the love of God, don't buy those multi-day, what are those, like biscuits that you throw in your tank? It's yeah. like, oh, here's a vacation oh, feeder. Horrible. Most of those are just calcium carbonate, better known as chalk. Yeah, they're literally just chalk that they pack food into 
that's supposed to slowly dissolve over time and then they get like tiny bits of, of stuff. It's just gross in your water. Uh, another thing about auto feeders, if, if you do use them and, and, you know, I know some people love them, make sure you clean them because the, the mold can can start growing in there and that's not too great for your fish. I have uh, cannot confirm or deny I've had uh, auto feeders that I have known they're empty and then just forgot to put away. And just because they're over the tank without food have grown gross and then fallen into the tank. It'll happen. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, that's right. I had a feeder there. Who knew? All right, Mike, do you want to talk uh, about Dre's question? Yeah, are are, are you mad about Dre? Oh, this one's already done? Yeah, we did oh, that. Oh, I didn't mark it off. Me. That's you, my fault. You threw me off. All right, you get the Pog Lord then. All right, first of all, great name. Does adding salt water to a freshwater tank and making it brackish help get rid of internal parasites? Not so much internal parasites. External parasites, it, it, it can be good for. I, I would prefer dips or long-term baths rather than switching your whole tank over. New question. How is the best way to do a dip? For instance, I had a bala shark that I had to do dips on. I took a hefty salt mixture, put it in there, and he about died from shock. Like I had to revive him. It was a it was an aggressive trip. How much salt do you put for a dip in a bucket? That's really going to be species dependent. And and you know your your bala sharks they're they're a shocky fish anyway. But the big thing to make sure just just try to get your pH as close as possible and your temperatures as close as possible. But other than that, I find anywhere from six ppt, which is parts per thousand. To, to 10 parts per thousand it, it is a good dip for, for a long-term bath, which would be until the fish starts to show signs of stress. And, and then for a short-term bath, you can use full-strength seawater. So how long do you dip them? W once again, that's going to be species dependent. I, I like to dip them an, a, until they actually start to show stress, which, you know, when you first dip them, they might act agitated. That's not what I'm talking about, stress. I, I'm talking about uh, it, it loss of buoyancy in the water or or if they lay down at the bottom or start floating up to the top. Most fish can go 30 seconds to two minutes, but always fish dips are an eyes-on thing, always. And, and know your species and know, know what they can tolerate. I was talking to a coworker about their puffer to bring, not to count, not to call back to puffers at the beginning, but I was telling her about possibly doing a dip on them. And then I realized, wait, puffers do something a little different when they're stressed or agitated and they actually puff up. So is, and my concern was at some point in either dipping or pouring through a net to get back into a tank, if that puffer was to puff while in a net or in air, there might be problems with that. Is there any suggestions on how to maybe do that with a puffer? Could be a, a bit tricky. In that case, I would like put them in a, a small container and transfer that whole container into the dip. So basically way, pour water to water and right, dilute yeah. out and go Correct. from there. Yep, yep. Cool. Interesting. Adam, you got uh, Kaiva's Kaiva's question? Kiva. Kiava. Kiava. I like that better. I like that. My brand new tank produced results the second week into a fishless cycle. It's now been over two months and still no nitrates. Should I start again or just leave it? Ammonia has been stuck around three for months. I decided to stop feeding it for over two weeks. Now it's finally at one in a hope to maybe restart the tank somehow. Check your pH. Check your alkalinity. I didn't know that. I mean, that and, you know, plants. I've seen some plants try to break down uh, other things in the tank, but that's really not going to help as much as trying to introduce maybe a different fish. But yeah, that's that from, from the way it sounds, it's been sitting there for so long. It's definitely got to be something, uh, something else. I wonder. Yeah. Yeah. 
the reason I say that is uh, we, we just we just helped a store with that problem. They restarted their systems and they couldn't figure out why they, they couldn't get their ammonia to go away. Well, they had had a pH crash. And at low pHs, you, you're not going to get that cycle started. I the, wonder if the, this, the, this person has been doing water changes during the cycle as well. Could be. That that could be another problem. Yep. It, it's hard I, to diagnose an, without more info. Correct. That's been an issue that I've been helping my brother work out with his tank where he has well water and a home filtration system. So his water not only comes out neutral seven out of the ground, but he filters it. And so what we did was grab some uh, cuddle bone or cuttlefish bones and stuck those uh, pieces of that in the back of his hang on back to slowly add some hardness back to the water. And that like that in about a week or two, we started to see the pH levels come up and then everything started to level out because there was nothing in the water for the cycle to hold on to. So going on to Nick's question, do women find men with fish tanks as a turn on or turn off? That's a doctor question. Uh, Doctor's no, married. Actually, How do you think he picked I, up his do, lady? The, the, do, the doctor <laughs> is married, so I really have no idea. I didn't have fish tanks when we met, but she did. <laughs> I'm just saying, out of the people in this podcast right now, I'm married. Scrap, you're married, right? Yes. Uh, Adam's married. Doctor's married. Mike, you need more fish tanks in your life. I was going to say, I haven't had a fish tank in five years. Right. And you need to pick up some women, get some hot tanks and some fresh Tetras, you know what I mean? New wink, fish, wink. fish related pink pickup lines like, hey, you want to check out my uh, shrimp tank? My shrimp tank. Hey, want to see my shrimp? My Amazon swords. Don't use that line, ladies and gentlemen. Don't do it. No, you'll get I slapped. guess if you're after the elusive poon tang. The elusive. The gem tang. The gem tang poon tang. Oh. <laughs> what is your opinion on the difference between uh, materials and live bacteria? Uh, difference between like a product like Flomax and EcoComplete. Now, the doctor has said before that he's not going to recommend one product over the other. Instead, he'll give you differences. So it is up to you how you'd like to answer this question on live bacteria. Yeah, I, I always like to use a, a liquid live bacteria. And I know some people say there's some dry products out there to work. But I, I know there, I know for a fact there are dry products out there that, that feed your bacteria and, and really get a system going going really quickly but as for specific products no i'm sure on that one i've used both the dry and liquid products i'm not sure about the floramax and eco complete that they're just describing here but for instance let's just pick on the easy one like uh, i think was it tetra still has a product they use it's a uh, stress zyme i think is there a bacteria in the bottle that they try to use yep. i can't mm-hmm. remember the actual uh name of it but i used to get gallons of that and it seems like i couldn't really overdose the product it was uh, a little bit easier for me to use i just I could essentially splash into a tank whether it be a 75 gallon or a 10 gallon and i wouldn't essentially crash the system by giving it so much nutrients that it would cause a bacteria bloom however powder is not that at all just because you said that powder a lot of times is uh, just food for bacteria. Mm. I unaccidentally dumped half a container of powder in and I created the sweetest Petri dish I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> I swear to God, I had like the thing crawling out of that and I just let it go for a little while because I, I needed to know I needed to do this for science. It was a microbiologist wet dream is what it was. Sure. See, that's why Adam's got to stop picking on me for those jars I did as a kid. <laughs> now, I may be wrong and I haven't kept a tank in what, four or five years? How dare you? How dare I? You're moving in and you're seeing a shrimp rack that's now yours. I, I have a 60 gallon that was just given to me tonight. I'm in a pack full of rainbows and rice fish. But Awesome. When, 
When I was in the hobby last, we were always told through the head honchos that had been in it for a while to stay away from things like live bacteria. Has that changed in the last five years or? Yeah, you know, there's there's always trends in the industry that are going back and forth. Like I said, I, I like to use a live bacterial product with the with the fishless cycle <laughs> uh, with just adding ammonia. Okay, awesome. Learning new things every day. All right, Mike, you want to get this one right here? What are some plants that you guys have had success in immerse growing? Well, Doc gets to answer first. Where is that one? I show here Mr. Gromby. He is a second question. Some plants that you have success in immerse growing. I- immerse growing. I- I'm not sure I follow that. In growing underwater is what I'm assuming. Maybe like house plants he's trying to grow underwater. It could be like, I'm actually looking up the definition of immersed. Relating to the characteristic of aquaplants reaching above the water's surface. Oh, like lily pads. Well, I mean. Or like. Even beyond that. Anubis. Fun story of this. I got this like red Ludwig. And for some reason, I don't know if I got some sort of hybrid. Mine literally have a a rack of 10 gallon tanks. And it grows out the top. And it hangs over the side of the tank like some sort of weird vine. And then actually grows into other tanks next to it. So I have like rogue red Ludwig spreading all over the place. I have heard, and I've had the greatest success immersed with plants that are made for that, usually bog plants. A lot of stuff in the hobby from the Amazon, you know, like I was saying, like swords, stuff like that. Sometimes they can grow immersed. Buses from South Asia, they can grow immersed. I can't remember. Or mainly your herpes uh, hair grass that you gave me. How dare you? That's PetSmart's fault. That's not my fault. Is it? Is it? But usually plants that are made for that. And I've even heard that some people will use philodendrons. They'll grow the roots into the water and keep the leaves above it. But I've never done that myself. Adam, you got that third question? Another plant that you could add to that list is uh, Creeping Jenny or Pennywort. We call it Pennywort in the uh, aquarium hobby. It's mostly inside. But if you find Creeping Jenny, it's usually smaller and spindlier. And you can root that in gravel. But it will go up and then through multiple tanks and things. I now have a new house plant to buy Jim's wife. I was going to say, if you look up Creeping Jenny, Jenny, it's going to look like that woman that's the crazy girlfriend meme. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) And they do flower. They do flower, actually, too. You got that next question? Yep. Did having a high pH in the soil make a difference for immersed growing if you did? My shit grows in sand. How about you, Mike? Well, so going off what Rob explained, I used to keep fish tanks with well water as well. And it was so acidic, it was eating the uh, seal on my fish tanks. So maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. How about you with your creepy jennies? I don't know. They do well in the gravel tanks that I have. They didn't do so well in the sand, but they do really well when you just take that pot from Home Depot and you set it where it's got a little bit of water and then the water goes up in. And then when you try to pull it out of wherever you put it where there's water, there's just nothing but root everywhere. They like the loose, I believe. They're usually in nature. They're found on the edge of a body of water, not usually streams or anything, maybe a pond or somewhere where there's lots of moistness going on. Loose soil, loose gravel. Next question is, what is your biggest blunder in the aqua trade since you got started? Treating a shrimp system with an organophosphate. Ooh. And why was that bad for the (laughs) listeners? (laughs) Yeah, for the lay people here. All the shrimp died. And it was all of our feeder shrimp. So it was a lot of shrimp. And I, I was quite disturbed by it. But I did learn from it. And then it has never happened again. So you know how you need to kill so many people to be a serial killer? How many shrimp did you have to kill before you got the mass murderer badge at Seagrass? Oh, that well, I don't know how many shrimp that was. It was well over the number required. 
Uh, but uh, we, we used to always we used to always say a thousand fish, you know. All right. But uh, that was a thousand thousand shrimp per tank. So. Ooh, and how many tanks? <laughs> oh, it was a bunch. Ooh, too many. <laughs> Enough to cry over. What trends have you seen completely change the hobby for better or worse? More education now is definitely a better. So, and, and I think we we still have a lot of work to do on that. And places like this are great settings to do that in. So that's that's a really positive thing. Negative trends. I think the most negative trend that I can think of that I'm glad has gone out is the tattooed fish that were popular about 10 years ago. That's exactly what I was thinking about too when I read it. I remember the tattooed guppies people were bringing from overseas. And I'm kind yes, of glad they got rid of that. Terrible, that was awful. Terrible, terrible. I think the, I'm trying to pick something that is more recent. So if I'm picking a negative trend that I dislike, probably a lot of the hype YouTubers. They give our fish keeper keeping hobby a bad name. You have a lot of great people out there that do a lot of good. Uh, Alexander Williamson with Secret History Found in Your Aquarium. You have uh, Bentley Pascal. There's a bunch of great YouTubers out there. Even the Ohio Fish Rescue that show what you can do to save large fish and don't purchase the incorrect size. But you see, I'm not going to put out names, but you'll see these uh, people that are not necessarily in the fish trade that are trying to scrape some of the hype. That I think the worst one that I've ever seen is doing a goldfish roller coaster. They take goldfish that they buy out of a box and just siphon them across their entire home doing loop-de-loops and all kinds of torture into a bathtub. It's just uh, a lot of uh, misinformation and a lot of bad taste with uh, it comes to a, our fun hobby. Great trends would be, I think, the collection of unique groups like this, Aqua Affinity. They not only are there to, to help you live, like you can't go to a PetSmart you know, at 12 uh, midnight and ask a question of what's going on with my fish, much less even when they're there giving you a straight answer. So it's nice having really the community base itself off the back. We This whole Discord transition for fish keeping has helped a, a lot of people get immediate gratification and help when an accident happens. If I may, I would also add one of the best things I've seen in the hobby is the amount of growing it has done. It's not so much with just the people coming into the hobby, but talking to Rob earlier on the way here, you know, I remember a few years ago where, where we thought it was impossible for there to ever be green shrimp like the jade shrimp, and now they're there. And so it's growing in terms of diversity. Faster. It always has been growing, but just at twice the speed. Right. We never thought we'd ever see them in 10 years, and here we are now, and we've got them. Ta-da. All right. You got the next question, Adam? What were some of the early fishes that were popular in the trade? Early fish is popular in the trade. Swordtails, platies, guppies, you know, that's going to be tetras, neons have been in the trade forever. But yeah, that... That's going to be uh, swordtails, platies, mo- mostly the live bears. I, I see. I'm going to pick on a few others. Goldfish are the staple because they could be transported cold. They used to have rail cars with ice blocks to drip fresh water so they could uh, transport them long distances. But even after that, they had white cloud mountain minnows. Yep. They're essentially a tiny carp that kind of look with the same structure as a, as a tetra as far as size and schooling and could be transported just like essentially goldfish at the time. Things that were hard to kill, pretty much. What are happy accidents that you found out completely by messing something up and found out that that still worked or achieved a better function? Hmm. Happy accidents. Maybe uh, leaving the water off too long on a tank that I had treated with salt and finding out that it was actually more beneficial than harmful. 
Oh, uh, that, that's, a, that's a tough one. Happy accidents. I'm going to say that random objects can be great breeding habitats. Good one. I also hear like the dog s slamming Adam's room. He's being, yep. he's being attacked. Just a second. He's going to kill himself a dog now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I've dropped in nets and found out that there are some like older nets that are fraying or great breeding habitats. I have dropped in actually, I pulled out a heater, turned it off put it in and then angelfish actually laid eggs on a unplugged heater they also like plugged in heaters which is a very sad thing because that just immediately kills them yeah that's a bummer if you don't know angels are horny for heaters you have been warned that needs to be a t-shirt by the way yes all right we got write that down michael we got a t-shirt angel horny for heaters and we also need a Dr. Fish salt spreading t-shirt. Bleach your balls. <laughs> oh, and bleach your balls. There, there's three t-shirts for the night. Shit, we are on a roll. All right. <laughs> Have you done something for a long time? Found out later that you've been doing it uh, completely wrong. And how did you learn from that? Mm, the unhappy accidents. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's a hard one. Don't use organophosphates on shrimp. I, yeah, that's, that's gold. That's gold. <laughs> What fish trend would you Thanos snap and delete from the hobby if you could? <laughs> we are a lot about fish trends tonight. I'll give you a, another one. The the dyed fish. I'm not a big fan of that either. I'll do pick. They still do that? Yeah, yes. With, with very few fish. Arowanas, you can get pink and blue still. And there are some imported, uh, the skirt tetras. Fruity tetras, as they're they're listed for most yep. vendors. I would pick uh, modified fish, such as cutting your stingrays to turn them into what they call bat rays, which aren't even close to bat rays. That's horrible. Yeah, you haven't seen those? They cut like star patterns into stingrays and all kinds of horrible shit. Oh yeah, that that's disgusting. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much yeah, the worst thing I've ever seen. All Can right, we Thanos snap the people that do it because <laughs> that would just solve the problem. There you go. There. That'd be nice. Ta-da. You want to get the next one, Adam? What has been a couple of nifty tricks you picked up throughout the years that has been substantially easier? Well, number one, you take your fish fillet and you roll in the egg before you put it in the batter. The shore lunch, best for whitefish. If you want to do a salmon, smoke it. Don't be don't be a bitch, you know? But on, on our level, I'd, I'd say uh, recirculating systems ha have made things easier. Even though old school drip and go systems where the water comes in, goes through the tank, and then go straight back out to waste. You have the most control of your water parameters there. But number one, it's very wasteful on water and it's harder to filter that water prior. So that, I'd say re recirculating systems. What are your thoughts on predatory fishes of Florida learning how to hunt lionfish? I didn't know this either. I've, well, yeah, I know that's an issue, but I never didn't know I this. I need to Google this shit. If there's I, actually predatory fish hunting lionfish now, they got smart well, enough. Yeah, I don't know. They've had 30 years and, and the lionfish are doing nothing but getting more and more. So I don't think it's going to be very effective. It sounds like the anaconda problem. My anaconda don't. Wait. Uh, um, so wait, do sharks eat them in the wild? I don't think anything really eats a lionfish, does it? Just you, Adam. Just you. I don't eat it. I just brushed against one by accident. Ouch. <laughs> you should see I have my cousin in the audience right now and he just gave me like the oh shit look. <laughs> it wasn't really brushed against it was more grabbed because i forgot i put it in the tank oof yeah refer back to story time one if you want to hear how <laughs> he got bit by a lionfish i'm sorry would you like to buy a fish sir? <laughs> all right the pog lord wants to know what's the best way to deal with zebra mussels once they're already in your tank i feel bad for you homie 
Yep. Burn it. Yeah. Bleach. (laughs) Yeah. He's not wrong. Zebra mussels attach to everything. They have a very vivacious breeding habit. They can survive in almost anything, including urine. I mean, not going to say how I know that. Other than we have zebra mussels in Minnesota. I was going to say, we could do the Minnesota method where you park a guy from the DNR outside your house and he puts up a sign and says, I got to check your water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's rich. We got this one, Mike. Do you have any feeder fish or inverts you grow out to feed to other pets? Do you raise them and culture them? We do not raise any feeder fish ourselves. Comets uh, are commonly raised up in Arkansas. Millions and millions of feeder comets raised out of Arkansas. The common guppy is, is raised down here, but we don't do any of those ourselves, no. Arkansas seems to be like a central hub of fish farming in in the agricultural world. I was searching for other podcasts that were just talking about fish farming. And I so that makes a lot of sense to me when I hear that that's where they come from. Yeah, comets, fantails, not a whole lot of arandas or fancy goldfish. We've only had a few places try that here on a commercial scale, you know, large scale. I haven't been successful, but looking forward to somebody that's able to make it stick. We did get a clarification on the emerged comment. Emerge growing as growing like Anubis or Amazon sort of out of the water like farms do. Then I think my answer stands true that my red Ludwig outside of water like that, that worked out pretty well for me. So Adam, you got this question from Odin. Hey, so I have three ranchus, and one of them appears to have a cloudy eye on one side. The other ranchus are completely fine. And so is that ranchu with the cloudy eye. I'm worried that it could be a health concern. It it, it could be. It it could be age. It could be uh, fish actually do get glaucoma like people can. Or it it could be a cornea. Even they they can also get cornea. So really hard to say without more information on that. But if the fish is eating fine and swimming fine and shows no sign of stress, I I really wouldn't uh, change anything you're doing, honestly. I don't advise bringing your fish to your nearest dealer either for their glaucoma. Are you sure? They need a card for that. All right. Excuse me. uh, I I would love to see that. Being like California, be like, bro, what? My fish is glaucoma. Can I get some weed? (laughs) Can I make that happen? He's like, yeah, dude. And he just slides you a card. Like, that's the shadiest deal of all time. (laughs) think you'd need some rso for that something <laughs> so what fish are most likely to be albino by mistake in either just breeding by accident or uh, in their natural habitat i have no idea on that one unfortunately i don't know either i know in i'm assuming like some native fish you see catfish a lot more often become uh, albino otherwise you don't hear about albino sunfish northern bass but you do hear about it on catfish it's probably like uh, fish who have been bred so often, like guppies. Maybe they have a gene in there for uh, albinism, and it'll just pop up at one point. But I don't know. I haven't what, seen what any albino, and I haven't seen any albino in the guppies I've bred so far. It doesn't mean I won't, but I see a more common leucistic. Oh yeah. So. Why don't Why don't you see more albino live bears? Because you'd think that you'd have them by now in the thousands, but we never. I never really see them on a list. Is it they're just not hardy? It could very well be that. So I know I, the, the not... ones I've ordered are shit. I mean, honestly, I've I've ordered uh, guppies in the past that are albino. Uh, it's been quite a few years, but they were horrible. To be fair, those were for feeders. He doesn't like to keep guppies. You're right. They they were endlers, and that's not their fault that they're shit. <laughs> Go f- yourself, Robs. <laughs> <laughs> what aquarium fish taste the best? All of them. All of them? No, I mean, like, <laughs> if you were to pick one, like, I, I got to say, I've been thinking about farming out some, some convict cichlids. 
There are some recipes. If you Google it, they actually have some recipes on how to cook your convict cichlids. I would say, honestly, lionfish are supposed to be sublimely great. I, I haven't eaten them myself. I know a lot of people at Seagrass that have and, and said it's it's really wonderful. And also trigger fish. Lots of people eat those down here in Florida. So if your chef comes out with half of his body limp and he's like, did you like your fish? <laughs> you know that Adam made your dinner. Well, considering that cyprinids or if I'm saying that right, Daniels and stuff are just little bitty like walleye or whatever. I would assume they'd taste good. Hit it up, Mike. Should we be preventively medicating wild-caught fish? How does the risk of creating immunities for the pathogens they carry hold up versus using wide-range meds on captive bred fish? Well, you, you've got both sides of that. You've got your tank-raised fish that haven't been exposed to all the microorganisms that wild fish have been. Of course, typically that wild fish isn't in the water that, came, that that wild fish came from, so you can throw that part out. But then also... Your wild fish haven't been exposed to anything that your captive bred fish been exposed to, typically, possibly. So you have to look at both sides. I, I do suggest quarantine. I, I, I do suggest salt baths. Formalin is good for especially wild-caught fish. Some type of worm medication and a feed is always good, especially for wild-caught fish. All right, Adam, you got Dragoon Master 77's question. What is the best way to breed clown killifish and CPDs? Not together, obviously. And how should I set up and what should I put in my summer tub? I live in Minnesota, by the way. I'm going to let somebody else feel that one. I've never bred either of those. You got it, Mike. You bred these things. I've, I've bred them. So the best way I found with clown killies is if you're asking us what you would want to do to get them to start breeding, I found frozen Daphnia. And if you cut up some bloodworms, that'll usually do it. I keep them in a separate two to five gallon tank, completely bare with um, Rob... Rob's wife has been nice enough to give me uh, breeding. Oh, breeding mops. Breeding mops. So she, so she makes them using like little balls of styrofoam and then covering them in yarn. And I've used those. I did that when I bred, I guess, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like the clown killie. It was a killie. It was an epiplotus. Uh, it was the red chin killie? The red chin killie. There you go. There Very, go. Same breeding habits. Exactly the same. And I had them breeding, breeding like rabbits. For the CPDs, if you can see the eggs, Wait, I- Wait, we have beginner listeners wondering what CPDs are, and it's not an STD. No, <laughs> sadly, it's not. Although it does itch. Some people like it, though. They buy it. Um, oh. It's Celestial Pearl Danios. They're also like a cyprinid. They're a type of minnow. Their eggs are very small, but I would have to say, having not bred them myself, they shouldn't be any different from Killies. I've bred them, but never intentionally. So they've, oh, so uh, they've scattered it. in my plants. I, I've never done much with them. They just go like, oh, they're breeding. How cool. I highly recommend taking the eggs out if you see them doing that, if you want them to be successive generations. They were wonderful caviar for my breeding plecos. Plecos love them, and it's not 60 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, how should you set up your summer tub? Throw it outside. You know, no repercussions. Get some uh, water flowing in that. Abuse water changes. Heck, just put a sponge filter in and leave it go. I love me some patio ponds. It is now patio pond season in Minnesota. Get your shit out. Get some rice fish. Get some white clouds. Get some goldfish. Make it happen, boys. From seagrass well, farms. Water will still freeze. Oh, no. No, no. You got to keep that stuff moving, and then you're good to go. You can put... I right now, got, it's... I just got four inches of snow down here. 
I, I got a bunch, but right now it's bouncing like tonight. Now it's 30 degrees during the day. It's like 45 to 50. So you're sitting at that like bare bottom, just per not perfect, just barely do uh, doable for goldfish. So if your patio pond's nice and close, it'll have a warmer temperature if you put it in direct sun. Uh, as long as you keep the water moving, they'll still be in their hibernation state and you're not going to freeze the tank over. They're not going to eat. That's for sure. But start prepping boys. All right. And uh girls. Do we have white clouds in stock right now, Doc? Yes. Yes. Thoughts on Safety Top QT dip. It claims it could be a rapid QT. I, I think it's thoughts on Safety Stop quarantine dip. I'm, I'm a bit not confused. Not familiar with that product. We're going we're gonna to go to the next one and let Scrapjaw read his own question. I do believe that question was uh, answered at a point because you started out talking about puffers and then we talked about puffers a oh, little yeah. bit in the middle. So. We totally did. All right. Big Fella Cole says puffers are starting to become very common and there are nowhere near as much info on them as Tetras, Rainbow Fish Betas, or anything else extra amazing. I don't know about that. I feel like puffers have been getting a ton of attention by a lot of different people. Puffers are very popular, but maybe not so much as the dwarf puffers, as the like Mobu puffers you see on YouTubers channels and whatnot. But there's definitely information out there. Dive in, my friend. Does seagrass have saltwater fish or corals? If not, will they? <laughs> oh, yes. Many. So as a person that has access to this secret list that you get from seagrass farms only intended for wholesalers, I can state that I'd say a good, you know, 25% to maybe a little less than that is just dedicated to like a coral and saltwater section. Actually, coral and saltwater is probably a, a third or bigger, but just coral. You had a, sponges, corals, anemones, all kinds of goodies and throughout that list. Absolutely. Yeah. Full, full service. If I may, I got a quick question. All, all you. Okay, so I don't mean to cut in here. How dare you? But thinking about this, and we've been talking about parasites and stuff, and I remember back in the day when we were talking about how to cure internal parasites, people were saying to give shelled peas where you squeeze them and let the inside out and that that would get mm -hmm. rid of them. Is that true at all? Or I really, I'd like to see some science behind it. I'll leave it at that. Doctor has been asked this quite a few different episodes, and it's not been asked specifically about parasites, but they've asked every other ailment under the sun by that peas can fix. Yeah, because uh, I remember peas were the be-all, fix-all. Doctor is not a pea fan. I feel like he was stuck trying to eat those as a kid and uh, got punished <laughs> for it. Well, now you know how often I listen to the podcast. Ta-da. How many pogs does it take pog fish to say pog? <laughs> um, oh boy um, do you guys have any tips on what's the best way to encourage Bolivarian rams to spawn any secrets there doc Marvin Gaye maybe no, no, no secrets two things that, that are always the best thing to try the easiest thing to try are uh, changes in temperature changes in pH you can also change the lighting I've also found that uh, Whitney Houston I mean Whitney Houston's great uh, Bolivian <laughs> rams are more of a power ballad type thing and no, Celine Dion. Celine oh, Dion. is that it? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, that could get any fish to spawn. That's just cheating. That's like a skeleton key for cichlids. Oh, absolutely it is. Do you guys have any saltwater tanks or just freshwater? When I, you say you guys, I'm going to go with everybody here. I, at this time, don't have saltwater tanks. I do want to start getting into saltwater jars. I find that, that to be crazy fun. Now, Doc, you don't have any tanks at home, do you? I have no tanks at home right now. I have a planned tank, but I will have a tank. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, we are taking donations to help poor Dr. Fish get his fish started <laughs> at his own house. You can send that to P.O. Box, uh, com. 
<laughs> say mark your donation for Dr. Fish, and we will make sure to get his stuff started. Adam, you got the uh, question from Nick. What is the best thing to keep with yellow aquarium shrimp? Mm, something that won't eat them. Nano fish. <laughs> Ketchup shrimp? <laughs> Ooh. I honestly... Already, Robs, that's kind of early. I honestly <laughs> don't like mixing colors of shrimp, but when you see something that's just so easy to go after, I mean, why wouldn't you make a Weenie Hut Junior tank and then just put yellow and red shrimp all over it? Because then you get brown shrimp. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say if they're asking about a fish, threadfin rainbows. Their mouths are too small to actually eat the larva. Really? So Ooh, I yeah. never thought of those. Great those suggestion. Good idea. Great yeah. suggestion. I didn't think of that. I keep nano yeah. fish. I've kept ki- uh, small killies like the clown killie, small small guppies, swamp guppies, picta, some like threadfin rainbow stuff like that. Years ago, I was one of the first people to get the panda loaches when they first started coming into the hobby. So I think I'm pretty sure I was the first person in Minnesota to get them because they they came to fruition in the hobby finally in like 2007, 2008. They finally hit areas in the United States in 2011. I got them right away and found that they were great shrimp partners. So I posted that online and then suddenly I started seeing uh, like all people started messaging me questions. And then a little burst bubble of panda loaches covering the hobby. Everybody demanding panda loaches because they were great with shrimp. We have now started a new thing with threadfin rainbows and have to be done with shrimp now. Oh, they're fantastic with shrimp. Wonderful. I got this one, Mike. Oh, here you go. Bleach your balls. <laughs> I do have a, I do have a question though for Doc Fish. Do it. Which do you think is more destructive, Malaysian trumpet snails or zebra mussels? Oh, hard hard to say. I can say from experience, not with the the zebra mussels, but the Asian green mussel has really really done a number on our desal plant here locally. Actually, Seagrist, it's right between where. Uh, where I live and where Seagrist is. And they actually have to ha- uh, hire divers to go down there and, and scrape all the, the Asian green mussels off the intakes for the desal plant for our potable water. So de- definitely say the, the mussels are an issue. So somebody asked, talking about the moss ball, should us non-U.S. fish keepers be looking out for the little pests? I would say absolutely. They've decimated our lakes here in Minnesota. Well, wasn't it the, they tried to like actually go back and figure out where these came from? They came from the Ukraine. I was going to say, wasn't it either like the Ukraine or Russia? So it, No, it's the Ukraine. We don't deal with the Russians. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, somebody else besides the United States must have ordered from these people. So who knows? I would just say, you know, be safe. Bleach your balls. So where we are at right now, if I'm allowed to say this, is the one county in the state of Minnesota or the one county in the country. With the most lakes per, I'm going to say per capita. Yes, from my house to 30 mile stretch to another town, mile per square mile has nowhere, no more lakes anywhere else in the world for density. And I would say probably half of those lakes, according to the statistics I last heard, within the last five years, so you figure that's probably 400 lakes. Of those 400, all of them, or maybe even half, have gotten zebra muzzles. So 50% of all the lakes, as an average blanket across our area in Minnesota, has risk of zebra mussels. Or has them. We're seeing it, you know, signs posted on rivers. They have uh, full policies of how to drain your boats. You have to keep, if you're going from lake to lake, they want you to drain and dry your boat for five days minimum before going on to the next one. And that's, I mean, really, if there's a pocket of water in there with some mussels in it, it's not going to do it. 
they'll decimate an ecosystem in a lake and they are at least minnesota is first in something oh thanks <laughs> thanks so what right, is Mikey. it about the zebra mussels that actually destroys it's the larva it's not necessarily even like destroys lakes hate them because again there's no predators to overtake the mass populations they sometimes decimate certain plant life in, in tanks because they overtake sections of the lake and stream and they're horrible for a lot of recreational purposes they cover docks and ruin things and boats <laughs> much less just what they you know larva can do so i've heard the larva can get into fish gills and suffocate the fish but i hear a lot of things all right there are parasitic crustaceans of fish i don't know that the zebra mussel is one of those though what would happen if xenia was released in florida It'd probably go crazy here. I feel like that's a commercial. It's like, AstraZeneca could help. <laughs> uh, what is Xenia for those that are listening? That's that little pulser, the, the, the little pulsing coral that you see in, uh, in a, a lot of marine tanks. It grows like a ground cover on the rocks, and, and, and it pulses. It, it, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous little coral. You mean you don't have it in Florida? I, I mean, we, we grow it. No, I meant is it is it grown wild in Florida? I I'm not sure if it is native in Florida. Is that the stuff that uh, our buddy with the kills with laser beam robs? Uh, no, that would be starts with an A. It's a normal Aptasia? pest. There you go, normal pest in all saltwater tanks. He uses, oh, Aptasia. Yeah, yeah he that's, uses that's a everywhere. laser to to remove it from his tank. It's a blue burning laser, and he actually burns it in the tanks from the outside. It was really cool. It's pretty great. <laughs> It sounds like with Xenia, there's multiple different varieties, so it could come probably wherever there's a coral reef fat, anywhere in the world. I'm going to try to pick and choose the remainder of questions. We are... Oh, man. There's some spicy ones in here. Has the good doctor seen anyone with this? So apparently one of the listeners back on the Aquarium Guys Discord has posted a picture of a what they're trying to cross, discus and angelfish together. And I'm going to like post this in Aquatic Affinities uh, Doctor Fish Question Chat. So give me just one moment here. There it is. Have you seen these, Doctor? Is that a oh the, the, that old the the shark fin discus? Yeah, we we actually have started carrying some high fin discus. What they call high fin discus. They they don't have the points on the fin like that. But that I do believe that is just a morph of fish that we actually are carrying now. The, rumor, the high fin discus. The rumor was going around for a while, that this was a cross between angelfish and discus. That's how they got this shark fin discus look. Yeah, I do, I do not believe that. <laughs> hey, I'm just reading the reading the post. We're starting shitty rumors over here. Oh, boy. That was, the, that was the same look that he gave me when I told him that garlic worked as a fish medication. Well, yeah, but then we told him it was only for vampire sword tails, and then he understood. <laughs> Eat your garlic. That's folks. actually that's actually one of my favorite sword tales. Let's see here. Uh, a person puts here. I'd like to give a special thanks out to the doctor. Uh, here's a text message po- post. Says I don't think my water was hot enough. I'm adding salt, raising the temp. Going to order some medicine and do a full cleanse. My little fish doctor. So clearly you've inspired people and they wanted to thank you, doctor. Awesome. Go ahead and read this one, Mike. Do fish, especially guppies, often come in with the nematode camelinus? A few months back, every farm-raised guppy in the UK seemed to be infested with them, but there aren't many people educated on them. Camelana swarms, yeah, you can 
typically get rid of them with a round roundworm dewormer that you can pick up at the feed store. Learning something over here. Every time I bring a group of CPDs home, two or three of them won't eat, bellies sink in, and then they die within a couple weeks. From there, I tend to lose one every few weeks with no visible symptoms. CPD highly susceptible to certain diseases like parasites, or are they especially susceptible to existential stress of being a tiny tiny stupid fish <laughs> they 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 can be a very touchy fish they don't deal with stress very well whatsoever i found that my cpds pretty much exclusively have to have a ton of shade so much so that you almost dim the light or turn it off you have to have a ton of places for them to hide otherwise i just have them shit out period yep. if i don't have that they don't thrive it's just it's hand in hand with celestial pearl dana as far as won't get them to eat, yeah. If they're stressed out, they won't eat. They don't have the shade. They're not going to uh, do normal hunting behaviors. It's very odd. And you have to have them school if you don't have enough in there. Or they dither well with other fish if you only have one or two. If someone decided they're just going to be done after their CPDs died. Yeah, those are the best cases for luck that I've had in those uh, scenarios. I would definitely mark stress, at least for the ones after the initial deaths. They say to keep them in schools of six. I would even go so far as schools of 12. I've always done better with 12. Hey, I, I'm i looking at a 90 with a pile of rummy nose and all different types of nano fish. They did there with all kinds of stuff, but I, I got another dozen in there. And so. apple snails. No apple snails, just ram swords. Hey, that discus we were looking at earlier, I found a website that claims to have some for sale, but they're out of stock. They're called a longfin boomerang discus. And it says in their description, looks like a cross between angelfish and discus, but they're not. So there's a little update there on that. Oh, I thought they were jimscrotumdiscus.com. I was going to say, <laughs> as far as trends go, Jim Scrotum Discus uh, have been you know booming ever <laughs> since the introductory on the website. Doctor, you can go ahead and check this out. It is jimscrotumdiscus.com, and you guys can find your own scrotum discus. Wonderful. Wonderful. Maybe, you know, we can work on Seagrass getting some scrotum discus in just for the aquarium guys. <laughs> I would eat a shoe if I got a Seagrass list and there had there was a line item for scrotum discus. In fact, I might pay you to make that happen just as a farce copy uh julie sandy if you're listening to this make this happen for me please what products actually work for lowering ph in a freshwater tank acid you get a little lsd everything gets a little say, lower gotta gotta you know what i mean Battery acid. you want you, you want to get uh, low start you, tripping you, you some can, balls boys uh, it would really depend on on how how much you're trying to lower your ph honestly is it true that uh driftwood helps with that at all it, it can pete can also help with that so otherwise do it right if you guys want to know if you have like just horrible high ph and you want to have that soft ph fish and you don't want to go through the process of like acclimating them and going through the work get yourself an ro unit strip your water and have just complete ro and then make sure to remineralize the water if you don't you're going to strip the slime coat right off your fish but that is the best way is ro system remineralize your water and then you're clean and ready to go Okay, I don't know who said it on the last Dr. Fish, but my... How do you say that, Mike? Micro Devario Kubati. Have a cigarette mouth as well. We, we talked about this, I think, in the first or second episode of Dr. Fish, if you want to go back and check this out. But I, I don't think it was rehashed after the episode. I'm going to put it in the Dr. Fish questions. And that's the picture they're talking about, that they swear the fish is uh, definitely smoking a cigarette. So after doing further investigation, <laughs> after doing further investigation, we did a zoom in with some forensics and found this picture, doctor. And 
<laughs> have confirmed that he has a two pack a day habit. So be very careful of those type of uh, fish. They're bad guys. <laughs> so a little follow through there. I think it identifies as a puffer. Ooh. <laughs> Question. Why do I sometimes see fish spaz out before their death in a spastic death spiral and then shoot all over the aquarium? Not sure of the actual medical definition for that or anything, but I, I have seen it happen quite often. I, I think it's just their, their nerves and everything as their organs are shutting down. Things aren't working correctly. So I've seen this quite a few times. It happened from one of the vendors that Jimmy and I used to get from for a certain type of fish, and it kept happening, and they'd just give us credits and send us more fish. What was happening was they kept the fish too long in a bag and took too long to ship it to us. When we cracked the bag open, immediately the water pH crashed. We put them in, and immediately they had the spin of death. They literally just spun in a circle, and then right before they died, they shot all over the tank, seized, and died. The only time I see this happen, I can't say on the regular, but the only time I can see this where there's actually a description to describe it is one where something's toxic or they have a chemical crash or extreme change and they seize out and crap. Or I have seen actually older Tetras be scared with like a flash of light and then suddenly spin out. I was at a friend's place for like a party and someone took a picture and I saw Sure enough, a fish spaz out, spin, and die. It's almost like, you know, the Hollywood deaths where the actor grabs his heart and says, it's the big one and dies. So whenever I see it, I always think of it's, that's what it is to me. It's the dramatic Hollywood death. When the fish spin, they shoot all over the tank, they spiral and die. It's Rabbits will do that too. So what you're saying is like, it's a Nicolas Cage version of someone trying to I'm thinking Red show Fox, off their way out. Sanford and Son. Come in, Elizabeth. Is that like is that like how epileptics have their triggers kind of thing? Maybe. Maybe it was just an epileptic fish and just wanted to go. Stay away from laser light shows. All right. Fish. You got this one, Mike? Love the Dr. Fish episodes. Can you ask Dr. Fish about lymphocystis? I think I said it right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Lymphocystis. Unfortunately, once fish have it, they, they pretty much have it, but it doesn't actually hurt the fish as much as it is unsightly. But the, if it's a marine fish, sometimes pork fish are, are helpful at eating it off of the larger marine fish with freshwater fish, just really, really premium op water quality and very little stress and and it should subside so is it in the water or on the fish or does it spread no it's 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 actually in the fish it's 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 actually it's actually viral but it it typically doesn't spread to the other fish do salt baths Uh, help no unfortunately not for freshwater fish and freshwater baths don't help for saltwater fish sounds like herpes that's what she wanted to know done Okay, uh, that's a video. I will send that to Dr. Fish privately. <laughs> a lot of people will post on the Dr. Fish questions in the uh, Discord with pictures and videos, and we will certainly go over them. It's just not quite as good when we have a ton of questions to go over that they take a bit longer. One of my suppliers used to offer potassium permanganate. Permagnate. There you go, in the past, but no longer due to safety concerns. One of the employees have been trying to convince me that potassium monopersulfate, did I say that correctly? You did. Mm-mm. 
will achieve the same results. I don't trust this guy, so I'm calling bullshit. Are these two compounds interchangeable, or is he just talking straight out his ass? No, they're not interchangeable. The first potassium permanganate is is actually still available. Just just do a Google search for it. You you, you can get it many places. Chemical supply. It, it is a great oxidizer. It, it's got a large therapeutic index. So if you use a little too much, it's not necessarily going to to really hurt your fish. Do read up on on its use and and, and calculate how much you need to use to actually get the two to five parts per million, which is the recommended dosage for it. But you'll have to do a potassium demand test for that first. It's really simple, but definitely read up on using it. Best used for uh, bacterial infections. Uh, Not great at protists. These are are external infections, not going to help anything internal. And the other chemical is also an oxidizer, but it's more of a disinfectant. So I have to be careful with those. So I'm going to change someone's question next. We had a lot of people like, what's the best way to quarantine X? I think the better question is, is there different ways to quarantine certain species of fish when it just comes to generic freshwater fish? Yeah, definitely. Some fish uh, you're going to want to go ahead and give some treatments to. The other fish you're, you're not necessarily going to want to treat. You're just going to want to observe and, and watch. All right. Last one would be encountering a odd upper intestinal tract parasite of some sort. Seems to, be coming, uh, seems to be common in the species in the last decade. Doesn't seem to ever have free swimming or a contagious phase. But my, if a dano dies and a dano is eaten by another dano, it spreads. Question is, will uh, Paraparazipro or WTV work as a preventative measure in a quarantine tank? Or is this species just a leopard now? Prozipro uh, is a commercially available Proziquantel treatment, which has very little Proziquantel in it. So so the dosages uh, are pretty hefty. But uh, that is a flatworm treatment. So unless uh, your Danio has some trematodes or a tapeworm, it's not going to be real effective for for anything else. I'm just checking for any last-minute questions. Again, for those that have questions for Dr. Fish or any other type, we normally answer questions during other episodes of the week, but we save our specific favorites for Dr. Fish. So... Go ahead and go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com, the bottom of the website. If you got something for Dr. Fish, you know, put it as an email, leave us a voicemail, definitely voicemail. If you can leave an audiogram for Dr. Fish, bonus points. But send those questions our way and also check out AquaticAffinity.org. Thanks again for having us tonight. Doc, do you have anything uh, else to add that we missed tonight? Uh, no, just, uh, any news I, uh, coming out the seagrass farms? Thanks for, thanks for having me again. We'll continue to work to be able to get as many fish out as possible and try to make everybody happy. So, well, perfect. Again, thanks to seagrass farms to let uh, Dr. Fish come on and, you know, doctor, please contact me about Jim's scrotum discus. We really would like to have <laughs> very those shipped across the nation. <laughs> Say Seagrist, see the best. All right, Mike, thank you for filling in for Jim. Uh, I hope Jim is not dead by now. But if not, I mean, you're a uh, great beard candidate, and we will certainly take your applications for future episodes. I'll go give Jim CPR. We'll keep him going. All right, Adam, you got any other notes? Nope, we're good. No ideas of cooking lionfish for the family tonight? No, but I was going to look at getting some uh, puffer fish. I want to try puffer fish, the fugu one, you know, the one that if it's not prepared properly will kill you or paralyze you hey he just wants limp i am not eating lunch at your place anytime soon (laughs) you guys like the fit i like the fish 
Do you like to buy some fish? All right. And before we leave, we we did have someone wanting to know the tally of t-shirts. So if you could read the list for us, please. So far, we have my personal favorite, Bleacher Balls. Bleacher Balls. In fact, hashtag that shit. It came from us first. It started here. <laughs> hashtag Bleacher Balls. Your mom will know what's up. And angels are horny for heaters. Angels are horny for heaters. I feel like there's a third one and I forgot to write that down. Oh, that would be, uh, we've got to make one for the doctor sprinkling some salt. So uh, yep. it'll happen. Like the meme. Spread the salt. And then all donations, please mark them for in care of Dr. Fish so he can actually have a fish tank of his own for once in his life. Please do. (laughs) Dr. Fish is going to kill us. (laughs) All right, guys, until next time, we will have Dr. Fish back on again. And let's give one last hurrah. Scrapjaw has joined the podcast and been around since about episode 20 and has been our editor since, uh, we'll just call it the beginning. Scrap has been editing every podcast. We've been doing these once a week. He's been our our fearless editor-in-chief, and he has to step down uh, due to personal reasons and obligations, and he has been a champion of the podcast. Scrap, here's one out to you, buddy. Thanks, guys. You'll still be around. It's not like we're going to miss you. Yeah, I'll pop in once in a while and stuff. And if you guys need stuff, and you know, just hit me up. And if I have uh, time in between things, and the things uh, would happen to be, you know, like last year, COVID was it made life kind of easy when the government was giving you money and you were told to stay home and everything. And then this year, all the hours at work are back, and I'm going to be free of all my debt and things. And I'm looking at buying a house and stuff. And so, you know, moving into those realms of life needs my attention because I've never had the opportunity to do that stuff before. So, but you'll see me around. Congratulations. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. I've learned a lot from you guys. So on that note, we are taking applications for editors. Send your resume to the Aquarium Guys podcast. Not a lot of experience is required. Uh, If you like the idea of editing a podcast or want to be a part of the debauchery and, you know, making cool ideas like hashtag bleach your balls, certainly contact us. And anybody that is amateur in the editing department or whatever, and you need the assets from the podcast, I am a resource still. So don't think that all of the things that I've created for the podcast are going to die with my exit. They are here. We may have to downgrade to foghorns instead of the bleeps, but we'll figure out a way. Until next time, guys. We'll bleep ourselves. Go bleep yourself. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. Bolivian Rams are more of a power ballad type thing. uh, Public service (laughs) announcement from the aquarium, guys, is uh, bleach your balls, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know, angels are horny for heaters. You have been warned.